Hey there, my favorite Doctor's Wife podcast listeners. It's Sarah here. And before we get going with the second half of this interview with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife, where we talk specifically about how to talk to your kids about sex, I wanted to tell you about some really exciting news. I am going to be hosting a workshop in Utah this spring next month just for you, the doctor's wife. If you like this podcast, if you listen to this podcast and you think I love what Sarah teaches, then this one day workshop in April is a must attend for you. I want you to think about how your husband goes to CME and he gets medical training every year to kind of like keep him sharp with his skills. Consider this CME for you. You're going to be surrounded by a small, intimate group of like-minded women such as yourself, and we're going to take this work that you hear me talk about on the podcast, and we're going to apply it to your specific life and your specific situation. I love what Alison Faulkner says. She says, insight is cute, which is what this podcast is, right? It's insight, but action is drop-dead gorgeous. We are going to be taking action on your life in this workshop. You aren't going to want to miss it. There's an early bird ticket sale going on right now. So go and grab yourself one before they're gone. And truly, this is going to change your life. You are going to leave the workshop knowing how to take action on your life to strengthen your relationship with your husband, to strengthen your relationship with your children, to strengthen your relationship with yourself. There's going to be yummy food and we'll laugh and we'll cry and we'll learn and there is going to be coaching. It will be the best way to spend your day. So go to sarahpain.com forward slash event to snag your ticket now. I cannot wait to meet you. Now let's get on with the interview. This is The Doctor's Wife, episode number 71, a continuation of my interview with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife and how to talk to your kids about sex. The Doctor's Wife is a podcast for women who have supported their husbands through a decade or more of medical training and are now ready to find more fulfillment in marriage, more fulfillment in motherhood, and more fulfillment in their personal goals. You are really good at taking care of everyone else. It's time to take care of you. Yes, you are a doctor's wife, but you are so much more than that. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. As you know, if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, and if you're a loyal follower, then last week, you know that I interviewed Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife, who is a sex therapist who specializes in working with members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on their sex lives through um, therapy and coaching. She talked to us last week about resentment and how it is affecting our medical marriage. Well, the interview was so compelling to me and so interesting. And Dr. Finlayson Fife was so generous with her time that I was able to continue it on. And we talked about how to talk to our children about sex and how to create a healthier narrative um, around sex with our children, maybe than we grew up with ourselves. And this podcast this week is the second half of that interview that I had with her last week. And so I'm just going to dive right in and um, let, and I ask her a bunch of questions about our children and, um, and we talk a little bit more about resentment as well. And so I know it's going to be super helpful and enjoyable for you. So Go ahead and 
give it a listen. And if it's helpful to you, I'd love to hear about it. And I'd love for you to write a review, share it with someone that you care about. And without further ado, here we go. The second half of my interview with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. Can we talk about talking to our kids about sex? Sure. This is something that, that, that so many parents think about. And, and what cultural barriers do you see most often with members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who are te- like in teaching our children about sex? And how can we overcome them so that we can teach chastity without shame? Well, I think that the biggest barrier is that we have the false tradition that sex and pleasure is Satan's pathway. And so we, we give the, the lip service to the idea that the body is good, but not very many of us have an actual testimony of that. <laughs> okay? mm-hmm. That is to say, like a lot of Christian traditions see the body as a threat to goodness. It's like carnal in some way. Exactly. And so it's like the, the body keeps you from godliness. That's why you should swear all of it off if you want to know God. Well, our theology doesn't say that. Our theology says you must have a body to know God, to become like God, which is a profound and beautiful theology. But we still, in my view, have a lot of the false traditions operating in our interpretation of that idea that allows us to say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's good, but stay away. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of say, oh, yeah, 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 it's good. You're supposed to get a body, but... But now Satan, this is Satan's playground and watch out. And mm-hmm. so when we, when we are terrified of our sexuality, when we teach the idea that sex is stronger than you are, which we unwittingly teach all the time, we tie our children's hands. We keep them from being able to integrate this aspect of themselves because they're afraid of it. Mm-hmm. And they feel like it's going to ruin them or hurt somebody else. It's very, very hard to integrate something that you are being told is good, but really, really isn't good. And that pleasure is, okay, well, you should have it maybe in your marital bed in a very constrained way, but ultimately good people don't have that much pleasure. You know, we have these ideas and I think they're the wrong ideas because it's, it's moderation in all things. And we teach this idea that sort of the most righteous people have shut it all down, you know, or they're having duty sex or they're having very, very constrained sex, but they aren't able to really understand the godliness and the divinity of really profoundly embodied sexuality. I mean, I think this is when you start to understand something of heaven and godliness through the body is through deeply intimate sexuality. Like where you, and when we have no vision of that ourselves, we're just terrified of it, or we had some family member who's got a porn problem or what, then we're just like, okay, just you know, okay, yes, 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 it's good and save it till marriage. But really the real message you're giving your kids is you're afraid of it and you're afraid it's stronger than they are rather than know you, this sexuality that you've been given is a wonderful gift. It's an amazing gift. It's also a powerful gift. And so being wise about how you're in relationship to this gift matters because it's a powerful way of relating to yourself and others. And so that's why we're asked to save it for the most intimate relationship that we have because it's such a powerful form of communication, which doesn't mean that it's bad. It means it's a beautiful thing, but being being thoughtful and careful with that gift to protect it for and to develop it for this special place is really, really important. But our kids map whether or not we've worked that out. You know? Can you talk about how I've heard you talk about this before and it's so good. Like 
the example of, you know, a commercial on TV that you're watching with yes. your family or something. Right. So you are, you are communicating your mind whether or not you want to be. I mean, that's the tricky thing about being a parent, you know, <laughs> it's no more than you do about your mind. And it's frustrating when they say things and you're like, oh my gosh, they're right. Okay. <laughs> my son was making fun of me once where he could tell I was bragging, but I was trying to look like I wasn't bragging. And so, you know, he's a teenager. So he's like, so he starts imitating me and I'm like, oh my gosh, embarrassed. <laughs> and so anyway so that's the gift of teenagers they'll help you see yourself but anyway (laughs) so um but my point is that like if you're you can say for example my mother who grew up in a generation where there was no talk of sexuality when I was in sixth or seventh grade felt like she needed to talk to me about it but she was really anxious so we're driving to my friend's house she's driving me there and she's looking straight forward and she's trying to talk to me And she's so anxious that I don't fully understand what she's trying to tell me. Mm -hmm. And then she's saying, do you have any questions? But the big message I had was my mom was super anxious. I was clearly anxious because I didn't want to have this conversation with her and I didn't know how to respond to it. So she said, do you have any questions? And my answer was no, none, even though I don't even understand what you just said, (laughs) but I'm going to relieve you and me of the anxiety of this conversation. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So the reality is like, I got the meta message more than the message. Right. It was, she was like, her actions were speaking so loudly. You couldn't hear what she was saying. Which is not, how to say it? Like, I respect that she was trying. Right. And in some sense, that meant something because she wasn't just ignoring the topic altogether. She was saying to me, this, this matters. Okay. And I'm afraid of it myself, but I got both messages. And so... I'm not saying that to say, okay, well, you're going to fail no matter what. <laughs> I mean, in, the, in my talk, how do you talk to your kids about sex course? That's a big piece of this is working out your own view of sexuality and can you offer something better? And you can even say to your kids, I have my own, you know, I've had some people who've taken that course or who have learned through other courses that I've taken about a different way of thinking about their sexuality. And they've gone to their adolescent and adult children and said, hey, I feel like I gave you a lot of wrong messages and I'm sorry about it. This is what I think I learned and I'm looking at it differently. And I offer this to you for you to consider in your own life. But I think I was wrong in this. I think that's very helpful to kids at whatever age to just say, you know, I also was offered an idea and I'm working my way through it, but I believe in this higher idea. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, there's, truth and, and, and divinity is in moderation. I, I know we don't necessarily talk about that as much as we ought to, but I, I see it whenever we're in, if you think about the relationship to food, you can be in an immoderate position with food or with sweets, for example. So if you are learn that sweets will make you fat and therefore they are bad and must be avoided, you have no ability to integrate the pleasures of food, of sweets, in a way that blesses your life because you'll go into an immoderate position. And we do this with sex. You'll either go into the anorexic, I never will have those pleasures, Mm -hmm. completely repressed, which maybe looks like the person who's in control because she's thin, but she's in a broken relationship to herself and her and to food. Or the indulgent position, which is like the porn and 
excessive, you know, which is also immoderate and broken because it's also a broken relationship to oneself and one's sexuality. Because even though you're enjoying, no, you're not even enjoying, even though you're taking in sweets, okay, you're mm -hmm. not enjoying them and they're not blessing your life and they're not making you stronger. And so it's also a ungodly position. And the, the moderate position is how do I relate to the pleasures of the body? through food or sexuality in a way that makes me stronger, blesses my life, gives me joy, but doesn't, isn't destructive to me or others. And so it's like, there's this balance of how do I relate to go, to these pleasures in a way that makes me stronger. There's a strength in being able to receive pleasure, to receive the goodness in food, to receive the pleasure in food or sexuality. It's, it's a mark of strength to be able to let it bless your life without going in the excess of grabbing and taking or right, the overindulgence. That. Yeah. And that's, that's a weak position. It's, it's not even like, Oh, a little bit, but you're gonna go too far. It's not even that it's a totally different mindset to be in a moderate relationship to food than in either the repressive or the indulgent position to food or sex. It's a mm -hmm. totally different mind. It's not the middle of those two positions. It's a different developmental place. It's, oh, I love that. And it's, that's where the strength is. Yes. It's about, I believe in a God who wants me to have joy and I believe that I'm worthy of it. And how can I be in relationship to this blessing of food or sex in a way that makes me joyful, stronger? Mm -hmm. So it's like taking in the goodness that's there without using it in a corrupt version to get away from yourself and life. It's a way of being more deeply in yourself and your experience and life. It's a way of knowing God more deeply when you can take in the goodness and receive it without going into an excessive position, which breaks you from connection to yourself and God. So good. So how can we cultivate a more open environment with our children? Like I love your, the example of you and your mother because you became a sex therapist. So <laughs> <laughs> somehow like if there's parents listening that are just like, you know, slapping their foreheads being like, yeah. I just totally messed it up. Well, there's a couple things. Well, yeah, first of all, what I'd say about my mom is I think I knew I could tell that my mother liked sex. She, she did because I knew because when my dad would come up behind her and hug her, or she didn't recoil from it. She mm -hmm. did. So I didn't know a lot about their sexual relationship, of course, but I knew I knew that that it was true that this was an idea that it could be a good thing. Mm -hmm. And so that's really important. So again, it's, it was never even stated to me like that. It's just that I knew it because I could map it, that my mother liked this part of her marriage. And that's a really big blessing. So you don't even have to go around telling your kids how great sex is. If you just live like you have, you've, you've figured that out, mm -hmm. that's a massive blessing to your children. So just you working out your relationship to sexuality they are figuring that out. You working out, they are, they are using the scaffolding of your development for their own. Mm -hmm. You becoming more at peace with yourself, huge blessing to your kids because otherwise you infect them with the self-rejection that you have, for example. So self-development, even as a parent, is a big, big deal because you give your kids a huge leg up. The other thing I was going to say is that my mom, when I started going down this path, because I was trying to work out some of my own inner conflicts around it and I was trying to make sense of on the one hand, I have these friends who are quite repressed, who are getting married, who hate sex, but I don't like the the larger world view of sex either. I, I don't want that sexually liberal, non-committal reality either. And so I was trying to figure this out myself. And 
you know, I, I probably gave my mom some pause that I was going to study Mormon women and sexuality. I think she probably was like, wait, what? What about the forgiveness topic you were thinking of? But, uh, <laughs> um, but on the other hand, my mom said to me, I'm so grateful you're doing this. I respect it. I, I'm grateful you have been able to figure out something that I couldn't figure out ahead of you. So that is to say she was blessing. She was making it okay that I was figuring it out and that it was okay that she hadn't gotten it all figured out herself. Do you see what I mean? Like she's mm-hmm. my ongoing development rather than seeing it as a kind of judgment against her. And so that also gave me the freedom to keep sorting it on my own. Which speaks, I believe, to her sense of her personal sense of self. Yeah. That absolutely. she didn't make that about her. Exactly. Exactly. Which I'm really grateful for. She's been happy for her children to thrive and even surpass her. And that's a lot of people don't want that. They're afraid of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I've got a couple questions from my listeners. Maybe we'll skip through as many as we can in the next 10 minutes. Sure. Is that okay? Sure. Sure. How can I awaken more desire in myself? Well, what I would say is that duty will kill it and authenticity and creativity and generativity will create it. So when you're in the I'm in reaction to the world, it will tend to go down, at least something organic and soul soul sustaining. Now, some people have sex as a way to kind of cover over their anxiety. Some people have sex as a way to kind of extract validation from another person. And that's not healthy desire. In my courses, I make a distinction between unhealthy desire and healthy desire. But healthy desire is coming out of a genuine, self-expressive, creative aspect of ourselves. It's It's the godly instinct within us, actually. It's this ability to create and do and to make a difference in the world. And so one of the quotes that I give in my, one of my courses is it comes from um, the Gnostic Gospels, and it's the gospel according to Thomas. These were scripts that were found in 1945 in Egypt and so on. And Thomas is quoting Christ as saying, and I, I don't remember this precisely right now, but basically, oh, if, if you're true to what lies within you, what lies within you will save you. And if you deny what lies within you, what lies within you will destroy you. So that is to say, when you don't take your talents and develop them, and I don't mean you have to have a career or any specific version of how that goes. Mm -hmm. If you don't take what's in you and create with it and develop it and turn it into something within yourself, it will undermine your happiness. And so a lot of times when people are asking me the desire question, they've really got it down to how do I produce some desire at night so I can manage my husband and get him off my back? Okay. And I'm not going to be able to help you with that <laughs> because I, I don't, I mean, unless you're going to check out, I don't know how else you do it. Right. So if you, but if it's going to be something organic within you, it's about figuring out how to thrive and be more deeply alive within your life, within your own mind and within your marriage. And that means honoring your gifts more, honoring your development more, making room for your desires to even emerge because so many of us are so quick to reference what other people want that there isn't even any room to know what we want. And we're so good at it. They've suppressed it for so long. Absolutely. And so when people say, I don't even know, I'm like, I believe you, okay, because Mm -hmm. you are so accustomed to pushing it down. But that doesn't mean that it's not there. 
And I think what I would look at first is where my resentments are, because the resentments are often signals like, I want something here that I'm not owning that I want. And so maybe I need to go and get curious about what is the thing that I want, but I'm afraid to claim that I want. And, you know, again, when I do these workshops, our desire workshops, I'm talking to the women in the group and they're, they're often talking about, I'm afraid to expose what I want. Maybe it's the wrong thing. Maybe it will f- ask too much of other people. Maybe it will, maybe, maybe it's, you know, going to fall apart and I'll fail. And there's this inherent exposure in letting yourself desire, but it's a very, very important process if you're going to grow into the woman you need to be for yourself and for others. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I think it's scary for so many too, because they, that's a risk that like others won't support them, right? That they have to stand, stand on their own two feet. And I think maybe someone listening to this answer would have been like, can't you just like give me a few tips and tricks? What (laughs) I think is so beautiful is that it, like it's the longer way, but it's the more fulfilling way as well. And I will give you one quick tip, I suppose, is you can think about a couple of things like what are, again, I I keep referencing my courses. I feel like I'm like, (laughs) no, please do. They're so good. Everybody go buy her courses. They're excellent. Yeah. The women's sexuality, I'm helping women to look at what are the positive sexual experiences I've had. and, And I'm helping people to look at what are the meanings that are are important to my sexuality? What are the meanings that consistently make me want it? Because you want to go and recreate those meanings. You want to have those meanings work within the relationship. You want them more alive in your life. Can you give us an example of what you mean by meanings? Sure. So some, for example, um, a meaning that I really like is the idea of being chosen and desired for me. Like that it's that I'm, known deeply and that I'm wanted and that, you know, um, that I'm, that I'm wanted above any other choice. You know, there's kind of an idea out there that men are non-discriminating in their sexuality. They just Mm want to get off, so to speak, and so crass, Mm -hmm. you know, that's sort of how we often think. And so a lot of women have a meaning, I'm not alone in this, that, that when I know that you want to be with me, not just have sex, you want to be with me. And for me, the meaning I like is you'll, you'll break rules, you'll break conventions <laughs> because I'm that compelling. Okay. And that's something that a lot of women like is this idea that I'm highly desirable. And that's partly because that's how we're raised to think about our sexuality, but also it's, it's part of a kind of feminine energy, I think in some sense. So then I know, like, I like that meaning frame. And so when there's reminders that my husband really knows and loves me, values me, is aware of my life and what I'm going through. It, it isn't just about sex. It's about, I know Jennifer. I want to be mm-hmm. with Jennifer. That's always a meaning frame that matters to me and is, is erotic for me. That is to say, it makes me desire sex. Or, you know, I talk about fa- fantasy, you know, creating meanings or stories or narratives that you can share with your spouse or create with them that reinforce this, Right. So, you know, I won't share any right now. <laughs> but, no, you know, <laughs> right. But, that, yeah, but the, that's very playing, tangible. That's right. And so you're playing with a particular meaning you know that you like. I'm selected. I'm chosen. I'm desired. I'm wanted. Right. So, yeah. Excellent. Where, okay. So as you know, the, the women who listen to this podcast are mostly conservative. Yeah. Latter-day Saint women. And they they want to know more about 
female orgasms and yes. where and like where they can go and they're all yes. just okay, terrified well, of the internet. <laughs> okay, well you have to take my course then. <laughs> because I'm speaking specifically to Latter-day Saint women and I'm teaching you about your vulva and orgasm and women's orgasm and women's sexuality is amazing. It really is. Women have and a lot of people don't believe me until they start to experience it, but women have more sexual capacity than men do. They have more And this capacity. is your art of desire course, correct? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So they have more capacity for they have the ability to have multiple orgasms, but they also can have much deeper, richer orgasmic experiences than men are generally capable of. And the reason why women often look defective is that women are much choosier about where they let themselves show up and whether they can validate their sexuality enough to let it show up. But I teach women all about women's sexuality. And when we're so busy referencing men's sexuality, we look defective because we are slower to become aroused and slower to reach orgasm. But that's not about defectiveness. It's about difference. Mm -hmm. And if you keep the frame in the first 10 minutes, well, it looks like men are champs and women are defective. Right. So we need a more expansive understanding of what women's sexuality is and men's sexuality and how you create a meaningful, powerful bridge between those two ways of being. Love it. So good. Okay, we're going to go with one more question. How do I begin to talk to my spouse about sex if I've never really had an open conversation? Well, you you got to get yourself educated first, I think, a bit. You've got to start having some of your own, just as we've been talking about, you need to develop more of a self around the topic. You've got to figure out more, what do I think? What do I see? What do I see as my role in our troubles? What do I think is my spouse's role? And what is my position? Even though it's not like your last position or something, but what, do, what is my mind around this? And then to dare to share your mind with your spouse. Even if it's looking at, I think we've done this kind of badly, you and me, and you've had a role and I've had a role. But it's, it's not about how do I get him to be okay with me talking about it? But how do I solidify my own position enough to dare to let it be knowable? Whether he's okay with it or not. Exactly. And that's really the, that's the muscle. A lot of times we talk about communication exercises as how do you get your spouse to be okay with whatever you're saying? That's not the right muscle. That's prescribing the problem actually in the name of a solution rather than how do you get more solid in what you think? That doesn't mean it's your last view or your la- because you may see and understand some of the things your spouse says in response and say, yeah, yeah, I think he has a point. I think I am not seeing this part of me or my participation or I'm seeing him more deeply when he starts talking and that's developing my position more. But it's, a, it's about daring to let yourself be knowable. We talk all the time about we want intimacy, but most of us are terrified of intimacy. <laughs> we don't want to really be known. We want to be validated. and told that we're enough as we are, to be knowable is scary. You know, I'm willing to show you my flawed self because there's no other way to be human and tolerate you seeing it and knowing it and not running for cover. Why is it so much better to be known than to be validated? Well, if you're, if you're going to demand validation, you never will grow because you, you basically will extract, you, you, you have to live dishonestly to demand validation. Because none of us can be validated all the time, can we? I mean, like no. we're all flawed. We're all we're all people in development. 
So if you're saying, you must feel good about me at all times, is a command to be dishonest with me and lie to me. And then if you get somebody that's always propping up your sense of self, you don't trust them anyway. You know, I had a client whose mother would shut herself in her room for multiple days. And then the father would say, okay, when mom comes out, tell her she's a good mother. And so then the kids would all line up and say, you're a great mother, you're a great mother, because that's what she wanted. And then she'd say, you're liars. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's psychologically abusive, clearly, but it's also this idea that I want you to show me that I'm that, but then I distrust you anyway. I know you're all being dishonest with me. And so mm -hmm. intimacy is I'm willing to deal with what's true, even if it hurts. You know, like one client was complaining that his wife never desired him. And I said, you know, he's like, I've tried everything, this and this and this. And I said, have you ever asked her why she doesn't desire you? And he said, um, no. <laughs> okay. So you think that's a pretty basic place to start if you're trying to solve it. But see, mm -hmm. his trouble was he couldn't tolerate the invalidation of seeing himself through her eyes. And so he didn't want to know it. So he'd rather have my wife is broken and I've tried to fix her in 17 different ways. That's the frame he wants because that's a more validating frame of himself. He's the strong one. He's the good one. And she just can't get her act together mm -hmm. rather than, wait, why don't you want me? What does it show you about me? Or maybe what does it show you about some part of herself that he doesn't want to look at? That's possible too. But very likely it's about he doesn't want to see himself. And so, you know, it's hard to see ourselves. I mean, I'm That's all very about, vulnerable. Oh, it's just, and, and it pushes us towards growth and destabilizing a view of ourselves that we have. And, you know, we, we like the, often the view of ourselves that we've got stabilized inside, but it's often not congruent with reality. <laughs> so, so it's a discomfort. <laughs> it's a really uncomfortable process to be like, oh, gee, you know, I'm, I'm not as nice or as stable or as, you know, like when my son's making fun of me showing off, like I don't want to think of myself as somebody who shows off, but apparently right. I am. <laughs> so, so, and he's showing me. And so then do you deal with it or not? Yeah. And again, that's where the growth happens, right? That's where exactly. we become more godlike when we're willing that's to right. put ourselves that's in those positions. But in the short term, it's like, can't you just give me a pill that I can take yeah. or whatever that <laughs> yeah. I can give other people so they always well, think a certain way about me? Exactly. And that's why I talk about all the time the idea that marriage is a divine institution because it pressures our development. It's you have a messenger right there show. I mean, imperfectly, of course, but showing you where your flaws are, if you'll let that be knowable to yourself, it can be a, the drive wheel of your development. Oh, I love that. And I love that question that you, that you ask them to ask themselves, like, where am I part of this problem? Yes. That's a very honest question. Yes. And can I answer it without beating the crap out of myself about exactly. it? Because that becomes indulgent too. And that's also a Yes. I mean, so, you know, and good, we're good at being ungodly, but, you know, we can, but that's also to go into like, I just suck. Everything about me is horrible. And it's a tempting position in part because it also gets us out of having to grow up and take responsibility. Yeah. Cause if there's Another just something way, flawed about me, then I can just stay this way. I'm broken. Yeah, and I can just feel bad about like, I'm just such a horrible, horrible person, but never have to deal with oneself. Yes. Oh, this has been so good. Thank you so oh, much for being pleasure. here. Will you tell my listeners one more time where they can find your online courses and your retreats? Sure. And sure. Uh, so just my website, which is my name, finlayson-fife.com. And then on the website, you'll see a link for online courses, which has all the four courses there, workshops and retreats. We're doing a retreat of 
three-day retreat in Oregon for the Art of Desire course. And that's more than half have it's, has sold, but there's still spots. And also one in Alberta, Canada. And so the live workshops are really great. Um, and, and then we'll do a couples retreat in the fall in Jackson Hole. Awesome. Thank yeah. you so much for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. If this podcast was useful, don't forget to share it with a friend and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And if you're thinking that you want to take this work to the next level, sign up for a consultation call with me and I will help you out at www.sarahpain.com.